ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is Welcome to another edition of Hard to Paint. Today, my guest is my friend and colleague from thebirdrights.com, Ali Cosell. Ali, with 12 games to go in the season, um, I wanted to talk to you because it feels like this is the critical mass point for the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, yes, these last 12 games are huge for them, but however the season goes, whether they end up in the play-in or not, I think it's important for us to talk about now how this season has gone in your opinion, um, by, by just the general measures of success? Has this been a successful campaign for the Pelicans? I don't think anybody could make that argument. Just look at their record. They're 26 and 34. They're pretty much going on pace for last year's record, right? Where they finished 30 and 42. Mm-hmm. And for a team that basically flipped Derek Favors um, for Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe for Drew Holiday, the expectation was you weren't going to lose that much on that end and just let the young roster grow, ride their improvements to what should have been at least a play-in tournament, you know, bit. And it doesn't look like that's going to happen. They're, what, I think four games out of uh, behind the Spurs and four and a half behind the Golden State Warriors. I might have it flipped. But either way, the 12 games left, it doesn't look likely. Two of their last 12 games, David, they've got easy opponents. The rest of them, 10, all figure to get in the postseason. Yep. So with the, their track record – uh, and how they're closing games, it's hard to imagine they're going to get in. So from that standpoint alone, i got to call it a disappointment. You've had two years of Zion, and I know last year he barely played. But he, he, he uh, got introduced to the league, so there's none of that excuses anymore. I know that people say he hasn't played a full season. doesn't matter to me. He was on the sidelines. He saw how NBA veterans act, how teams play, all, all this stuff. So to me, he came in and, and he showed us that. He looked like he did take a step forward, and we'll get into that. Point Zion happened. He is now become a, a certain figure in this game to where you can really build an entire roster around him because he's got that playmaking. He doesn't need just to be fed in the post. But either way, I got to just shake my head, David. It, it, it's such a massive disappointment because even though the young guys grew, the veterans didn't hold up there in the bargain. They did not improve on any of their weaknesses we saw over the first month. And really, Stan Van Gundy has not been able to craft a defense that's, you know, worth a darn. And after seeing last year's results, good offense, bad defense, that's what he was designed to bring in, teach these guys, and nothing's really translated. So, yeah, from that standpoint, no, you just got to shake your head and say, nah, it's not successful. I mean, the thing that I've said this entire season is that they play less than the sum of their parts. And Saturday's game against the Spurs is a real example of that. You can't tell me one through nine, the Spurs were more talented than the product that the Pelicans were putting on the floor. Talented. But we saw over the course of the game, the thing that has plagued the Pelicans since game one of this season. And the Spurs displayed it in in just in a large amount. Discipline, short-term memory in the sense of We had a bad possession on this end. We're going to execute on this one. It doesn't matter. It doesn't carry over. Guys don't run back slowly after they miss shots. And in the fourth quarter, when it was time to make an adjustment, they did two things. They switched the defense and went to a zone that frustrated the Pelicans. And then on the offensive end, 
They ran very simple plays to get DeMar DeRozan into positions to make plays, and they offensive rebounded. The little things that you count on in basketball games. And when you talk about even those two teams that you say, you know, we talk Oklahoma City and Minnesota, both of those teams the Pelicans have lost to. Got swept by Minnesota. Well, not by swept, but they lost the first two, right? Yeah. yeah. So these are teams that they've lost to. They're one in three against those two teams. And so I look at the end of this schedule. It doesn't get easier, as you said, it, to me. And people keep saying, well, the other opponents are getting easier. For uh, I mean, the harder for the, the other teams chasing, like Memphis, Golden State. But how do you make up that gap when you are the same team that has shown that you have just as much capability of losing to anyone as you do of beating anyone? David, they've, they've every time you think like they've maybe turned a corner and they've had a couple of good wins against good teams or had a good stretch, right? There was a couple, I think, what, one three-game winning streak, one four, and they won like five out of seven. They had easy stretches coming up right after that, and they blew both of those. And this last one, I think, is the one that's going to put the nail in the coffin, right? You got to beat the Wizards. You, ha- you were in both games against the New York Knicks, but you had the New York Knicks game one. And really, you could have won that game against the Brooklyn Nets, and we're not even going to talk about yesterday's game to where they made a nice comeback in the second half and then in the fourth quarter, especially in the clutch men's, they found another way to lose. As you mentioned, the rebounding. So it's always something with, the, with this team. But either way, it's always the same result. The inability to close, the inability for any kind of leadership to shine through and guide this team through some key minutes, right, where there's smart decision making, right? Point to the Knicks game. They were up, I want to say, by seven, somewhere in that neighborhood. And they come down, say, at the three, four-minute mark. They shoot three straight threes. This is a team that had been riding six, seven games of shooting under 32% from three-point range. And suddenly they're going to try and rely on a three-point shot to close it out. And, of course, yesterday's game, I was just in awe of what Stephen Adams, and it really, I'm going to put it on him, these tap-outs. The ball seemed to be coming to him. I don't understand why he doesn't go out and just grab the board. Right. He, he, he likes to tap these balls out. And off, when, when you're on offense, it makes sense. Right. You're not going to likely get that rebound in traffic. You're usually going over the back of somebody. But defensively, you're in position. So the, he had these two costly ones to where it ended up, you know, in DeMar DeRozan's hands. He never missed a free throw. He converted all his opportunities. The Spurs did what they were supposed to do and the Pelicans didn't. So, like I said, each time they're within striking distance of wrapping up a win, they they blow it. And even though their clutch record isn't as bad as last year's, seemingly this year's hurts more because they're losing to all the teams they should beat, right? I mean, I've remarked on this multiple times. Against the top 10 league, they're 10-11. So as you mentioned earlier, the talent is there. But against the bottom 14, I mean, it's just astounding to have, I think it's about a 14-14 record, something something in that neighborhood. It's 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 unacceptable. It's It's tremendously frustrating because going into the season the expectations as you said and and people have to be real it is no matter what you think it's year two for zion and next year will be year three for zion and you have to think about that not only basketball wise but contractually so you have you have to deal with this with some sense of urgency not panic but urgency and that is just something you don't kind of see throughout this organization from the start of the season, the way they built the roster, it wasn't done with urgency, the way they handled free agency, they waited and waited and waited as what I view as bargain investments on, as on veterans, 
that would have been cheaper than some of the things they did pay out on, they passed on to try to swing for these future assets. And I understand, but there's only so much stockpiling you can do when you have the number one pick come your way. This isn't like Giannis, in my opinion, who was you know a middle of the first round pick, not the number one pick. When you come, when Steph, people talk about Steph Curry, Steph Curry didn't come in as the number one pick. He was the third point guard taken. There's a difference when you get the number one pick. And if you go three years with, let's just say it, if you had Shaq and you went three years without the playoffs, if you have LeBron James and you go three years without the playoffs, if Zion Williamson is in that company and we're saying statistically that he is, that he measures up with the greats in this game, this organization cannot have three seasons of not making the playoffs and not really showing improvement because it's not even from year one to year two, there's no improvement. And, and in some places you could say defensively, they've taken yeah. a step backwards as a team defensively. So, yeah, I mean, there are individual successes and there always are in bad teams. They're always on bad teams. You know, I, I call it the NFL films thing. You remember they used to do the season wrap-ups and no matter what your team record was, they made it seem like you had an awesome year. You can pull those individual stories out from the Pelicans and you can say, wow, yeah, remember this game and maybe, you know, Zion was so good. B.I. was so good in this one. Lonzo was so good in this one. But in a lot of those, they got an L. Yeah, and David, this is what scares me. You made some good um, analogies of what it represents. Can you imagine some of the previous greats missing out on the playoffs year after year to begin their career? It's following in the footsteps of Anthony Davis, right? If I'm not mistaken, he uh, came in on a very bad team. They actually did make some improvements where second year they were a little bit better. And third year they squeezed in the playoffs, right? Last right. day of the season. But overall, of course, you know the track record. Two playoffs in seven years here in New Orleans. And, and it just feels like you can't help but think Zion seems to be tracking down the same path um, because this year should have been – and look, people have got to understand it, not everything is just get about getting in, but it does show the trajectory of your team, right, in winning big games and putting yourself in a position to take that next step. That's something Alvin Gentry always preached, I remember, um, and I think that's important to understand. Incremental steps are important, and if you haven't really made them, from year one to year two, when you've got a generational talent like Zion, let's not overlook. Brandon Ingram's an all-star. And he's a number no two pick. A number two pick. And then Lonzo's a number – well, no, Lonzo was a two and Ingram's a three, right? No, B.I. was a two also. B.I. was a two also. Okay, Behind. so you've got three top five picks sitting on your roster and seven lottery picks over the last two years. That's – a lot of teams cannot ha don't have that level of talent. You know what I'm saying? You're not talking about the Orlando Magic here. You're not talking about a team that got a number one and the cupboard was bare. You got a number one, and David Griffin also had the gift of being able to trade Anthony Davis and get back Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart. You also get the gift, you know, of having two lottery picks behind Zion in your first year of the draft and then being able to pick up a Didi Lozada in the second who looks like he could be a good addition down the road. That's a first year luxury that you did that that most teams don't get when they get a number one pick. And, and so we have to put that in perspective too. It's not your typical this team won 13 games last year and got the one. The Pelicans jumped to get that number one. So you got more than you deserved officially mm -hmm. in 
you know, so it's, there are a lot of things that you have to keep in that perspective too, and not just say, well, they're rebuilding. It didn't work that way. It wasn't the same kind of rebuild as bottoming out as a franchise. And here's one I think you got to add this year. They've been healthy. This has been one of the healthiest teams outside of this first two weeks of April. This, this main group has been together, available, playing games to where last year, right? They didn't have their starting four or five for a couple That's months. Season, I think Derek was largely out, right, for a couple months in and out. And once he was back, of course, the Pelicans played better. And then when Zion came back, they, they were trending. I, I really think they would have made the playoffs had the pandemic not hit. This year, you never felt confident that they were going to make a run. And, you know, you, you leave your head scratched. I guess we should go down through the list, right, mm -hmm. of what really – What's to blame? Who? Where, where are we? Okay, let's start. That? Let's start with the. Let's start, and we'll and we'll not just blame, but we'll analyze the whole thing. We'll start with the front office. Yeah. And you and I, before the season, we were very clear on this that we felt like the roster was incomplete. In my areas of contention, I think yours were the, were similar. There was no veteran backup point guard to run the second unit, and I thought that that was a problem anyway because you and I had problems with Derek Bledsoe's ability to run an offense. Eric Bledsoe, excuse me, I don't know why I said Derek. I think it drew, I combined Drew and Eric, excuse me. But we had we had questions about that. No proven defenders at the three and four spot. Not a one. Because Ingram wasn't a proven defender. Zion is not a proven defender. So you didn't have any, and you had no one on the bench. You were hoping that Winyan Gabriel would be that. He's not. You know, he's not even, and you didn't have anyone else at the time that you thought was going to, no one was in the rotation at that point. You had Josh Hart playing the three in heavy minutes. And we also felt like there was a lot of duplication. Where was some, where were some of these guys going to fit? Because once we knew Nikhil Alexander Walker wasn't playing point guard. Now you had a lot of guys we said were vying for minutes at that two guard spot. So I think we start there with roster construction for me. That's, that is a factor in how this team uh, performed this season. And then within that, a lack of veteran leadership. Once you got rid of a Drew Holiday, you didn't have any institutional knowledge. You didn't have any institutional leadership. You have no one to set the tempo. And I thought that that was a problem as well. Absolutely. My biggest fear of Eric coming to New Orleans was the simple fact that you're taking him off a championship roster to where he's the third or fourth option, but he's comfortable in his role, right? He's kind of had his career trend upwards. And uh, to suddenly be cast off, probably unexpectedly, probably didn't see this coming, to a team, of course, everybody knows New Orleans has struggled, right, year after year of becoming, you know, one of the premier teams, e even mediocre, right, mediocre average team in the Western Conference. So as a 10-year vet, you're down in the dumps. And then we also learned Drew Holiday before the season. He requested a trade. He actually wanted to leave. But, of course, he did it quietly on his terms. Glad Griffin was able to do that. But the return they got – for that package, of course, include Eric, but then also Steven Adams. So when you're talking about veterans, no, I feel like honestly, Derek Favors and Drew Holiday gave you more in that locker room than what Bledsoe and Steven Adams are doing this year. You know, I love Steven Adams. We all like Steven Adams, but his fit just grows more questionable by the day because where's his impact, right? On one leg last year, it felt like when Derek Favors was in the game, you knew that the defense was going to be sounder. Right. There was not going to be as many weaknesses for some reason. Stephen Adams, whether he's on or off the court and numbers reflect it, he's not making a difference. You know, you can see it with your own eyes. Right. The excess hustle, um, keeping possessions alive, diving on the, on the ground. But it's not translating. And, and, and that's the key for this team 
It doesn't seem like he fits. So those are your only two vet options outside, of course, J.J. Redick, who, as we learned, as soon as Drew Hotta got traded, had nothing, wanted nothing to do with New Orleans. He wanted to be traded before the season began, too. So you've got that sitting in the locker room now for, what, two, three months. And, boy, w- w- when you have nothing other than Eric Bledsoe, who doesn't want to be here, Stephen Adams, who's a quiet guy who isn't going to be one of your leaders because of his role on the court, you got JJ who doesn't want to be here. Josh Hart, who's still growing in his role. I know he's a little bit older. But still, he's the he's a bench best. Guy. Yeah, he's never going to be a starter in this league. So you cannot – again, he's – we've talked about that like with a Draymond Green. It's what he's – at least Draymond was the starter and was clearly the team's best defensive player. So he had that to lean on and to be that voice. But And you also have the dynamic of Steph Curry. So Josh Hart not being one of your top – five rotational guys there's only so much he can do yes david so what i'm getting at is you started off by saying this team needs a veteran point guard i completely agree stan van gundy said one of the biggest things he wants out of any point guard pretty much any coach will tell you that is to be able to control the floor get your guys in position especially offensively so i feel like anytime they've hit a wall and before this latest stretch to where they're throwing games away by bad decisions over the last few minutes over the course of the season, they've been hit with runs from the opponent. These 20 to 2 runs, 15 to 4, whatever it is. It seemed like every time that happened, there was no um, ability to stop that run. You kind of had to just weather it. By the time the Pelicans emerged on the other side, they were headed towards a loss. They weren't able to rebound. And I feel like that's what's missing. That's the kind of leadership I think you and I are trying to tell the audience about. It's not on Lonzo's shoulders. He's still growing in his role, and we've seen a lot of improvement out of him. But overall, from a team standpoint, this lack of leadership to be able to control a situation going awry, I think has been the number one key factor in their record, right? You've got to be able to take however the ball bounces within the game. Whoever's hot, whoever's cold, you have to be able to make adjustments. Coaches can make a certain amount of those, but it's on the players to basically – Take care of the tasks that are at hand. React to what's going on in the game. And if, if you're rudderless, as, as this Pelicans group is to me, then you're just flying blind. And, and it, the record just, record just completely reflects that. You know, that year, the, the last time they made the playoffs, we, you know, they had that exceptional record in the close games. And I, I always go back to the, to the um, beginning of the season press conference next year with Alvin and Dell. And they said, this team could be better this year. And we knew it then. I remember you and I talking about this that day and say, you know, that they made special point to talk about those clutch games, that that stuff was not, I remember Dell saying they were going to be in more games like that. And I'm thinking that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. If your team is in those situations, that that's never good that you're constantly playing games that are in the last five minutes that come down to those, that area. Um, especially when you have a young team, it bothered me. And now Looking at this group again, it's that lack of awareness, that lack of situational awareness that doesn't just manifest in the fourth quarter. It's why you're in that position in the first place. It's how you get down to San Antonio on Saturday because you're giving so much space for Derek White when you know he's legitimately only one of two three-point shooters they utilize. And yet we saw Brandon Ingram repeatedly give Derek White space defensively. We saw the Pelicans not close out again on a team that doesn't shoot it particularly well, but you still have to close out. You know, the Pelicans shot their best percentage of the season against the Spurs 
from three. This is a team came in shooting 25% against the Spurs. They shot over 40 in that game. But you you lose you basically you lose the points in the paint battle, which you have to win every night when you're the New Orleans Pelicans. You miss half your free throws as a team. You turn it over almost 20 times. So all those things, none of those have to do with talent or acumen. They are about your basketball IQ, your decision-making, your attention to detail, your understanding of your teammates, and the Pelicans fail that test. Even in games where they win, they don't look like a basketball team. They look like a collection of people who just showed up. That was the biggest shock to me yesterday, David, was to see the way they started the game. And it was from basically from tip to where the turnovers and, and they were senseless turnovers. The Spurs aren't a gambling team. They're not, you know, when these longer teams are looking to come up with the steals and the blocks. No, they play good, solid, fundamental basketball. And yet the Pelicans were turning it over at a rate to where what did they have at halftime? I want to say they had 14 turnovers, 11 was, missed free throws, something in that range. Yeah, they had, I think it was 12 turnovers. It was the tw- it was about 12 turnovers, I think, in the first half. But still, you get double digits. And like Antonio Daniels was freaking out about this. He's like, the Spurs only average 11 turnovers a game, and you turned it over double digits in the first half. It's, it's insane. You just cannot do that. And like you said, they're so careless. And that's what I mean by and, – and that upset me the most. I didn't tweet much last night, but because I was looking at the product on the court and I had no sense that the Pelicans were going to win. I saw that the best player on the court was Zion Williamson, right? Brandon Ingram, he started off slowly, but he really got it in gear. Um, and, of course, Lonzo Ball had a spectacular night from three-point range. The Pelicans should have been able to win that game handily if you just come in the game focused. And I don't understand that when it's the biggest game of the year. So that goes back to me to having a guy like Rondo in the locker room who's going to yell at your young guys or, or just tell you, this is what I want to see from you. This is the stat line or this is what I expect or within the game. Okay, this guy's hot or this is what we're doing wrong. You fix things. Falcons, <laughs> they never got into that gear, I felt like. In the third quarter, they made that comeback, right? But it doesn't matter. My whole point is that when something hits you, you have to react. And then, of course, then you're supposed to maintain. And that's what they did that year to where they won a lot of those close games. That's why I keep saying that this team is rudderless. It, it doesn't matter. They may fall upon something that works, get in a nice little in rhythm offensively for a good four or five minutes. But then they can get derailed by the simplest of things. They start, you know, just doing things out of habit. Um, they concede so much. Like, let's get into the, let's go into the point Zion thing because this okay. is all it is. But they, yeah, but they, before, yeah, before, let's just finish off though. I feel okay. like I want to finish off this discussing why they're just bad. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest with you, we, we, I've already mentioned Stephen Adams. We're not sure how he fits moving forward. He doesn't bring a lot to your team, honestly, when, when you're soaking up space down there. Everybody knows it doesn't provide the spacing because what he wants to do offensively. If he's not setting screens at the he's top, he's looking of the for field. the offensive board. He turns board, his body, but he's clogging up that lane, right? Clogging it up early. The other guy in the starting lineup, Eric Bledsoe. He, I don't think there's a worse starter in the league, especially somebody that's playing close to 30 minutes a game. So you go from that to talking about what we've been talking about—the lack of leadership—to a team growing, trying to fill, figure out who they are, and you don't have a bench that has enough support, both you know mentally and of course on the court contributions. That is why I think the Pelicans find where they are. 
And it goes back to what you said, the roster construction. So I just wanted to end on that note. This roster was put together by David Griffin, and there were a lot of those obvious holes. And if you want to start somewhere, you really almost have to start there. Yeah, he and he admitted as much uh, just a month ago, not even a month ago maybe, when he said that he didn't give Stan Van Gundy everything he needed at the beginning of the season. So if you knew that, and you don't reflect that, again, you, you're telling it just – and we could get into that for the longest time, but it reflects to me something that is emphasized. You know, I think people take JJ's point and they want to abuse it and make it seem like the entitlement factor. Take that out of it. What he's saying is, is and I, I don't look at that as about the entitlement at all. What I look at is, is business in the NBA that happens, but it's the way it was handled. It's that's what you're talking about with this franchise always. It's the way things get handled is bothersome to me, whether it's the communication that they do with the public, whether it's the communication that they're doing internally, whether the communication dynamic between the front office and Stan Van Gundy is always good because I it feels as if, and I, I want to know if you share this before we transition, it feels as if they're not always on the same page and have not been this season, whether it comes to rotations, players' minutes, um, and even the design of this team, I think that there have been things where we've seen Stan essentially say, that, is, that ain't my call. He doesn't say it in a, in, a, in a really explicit way, but you understand that he's saying that was not my call. Yeah, it goes back to what we said, you know, probably a month into the season where we, you know, outed the fact that they're trying to both sides defense, prioritize developing the young roster and, of course, win. And that failed spectacularly. But it was obvious that Stan Van Gundy was under some kind of mandate because Jackson Hayes, who is clearly not deserving of any minutes from preseason to the first, what, six weeks of the year, was ahead of Billy Hernan Gomez, who immediately, once he got into the rotation, hey, wow, look at this. This guy's doing, you know, an average job out there, but look how much more beneficial it is to the team. So you can't say that winning was a priority when, of course, you're seeing Jackson Hayes get minutes ahead of Billy. And so th that line has waffled all season. We, we saw Nikhil in the rotation, out of the rotation. Kyra Lewis, who really wasn't supposed to play much at all, from what I remember back in uh, on media day, he gets thrust into a bigger role than he should have been. And I, now I think we're kind of seeing that, right? He, he, he doesn't look so good on the court. And I think that's the sole reason. And this is all in the backdrop of, we've got to mention for those that don't understand it, this team has never had a chance to practice. They have never been had a chance to go and get in the lab, work with Stan Van Gundy, ironing out and improving on what's really ailing the team, the, the, some of the defensive concepts, um, some of the schematic to where play, players simply don't run the right plays. You, you, can, you can see how they're out of position on the court. So nothing was ironed out, and it, it just leads to, I think, to find out exactly where we are, why we are today. And – where you go from here, that's going to be the biggest challenge. Right, David? Yeah. How are they going to close out, first of all, these 12 final games? Well, I guess they're, they're kind of limited, right? We're not sure if Josh Hart will be back, but it sounds like Nikhil will be. But either way, they are learning more things about this roster. So to turn it from what could have been and the reasons why they have failed spectacularly, what I'm hoping to see over these last 12 games is finding some semblance of continuity to which rotations work. And I, I just got to jump out real quick and say this. <laughs> My favorite lineup this year, of course, is never going to include Eric Bledsoe. His numbers are just awful. But if you want to maintain and keep Steven Adams, what's worked the best, Lonzo, Ingram, Zion, and Josh Hart. 
Well, since Josh Hart's been down, guess who now, according to Cleaning Glass, is doing a heck of a job filling in those shoes? Najee. Najee. And I have that, I have this in my notes because I wanted to discuss this with you. Let's talk about that for a second because you bring a great point. This offseason, you have to make a very critical decision on Josh Hart and his money. But you are getting similar production from Najee Marshall with more length and more bounce. He can finish at the rim. That's something that Josh does not do well. Same with B.I., not a great finisher at the rim. I think Najee put in the money that you're paying Najee Marshall and what he's going to get next year. Now he could get more because he's not a second. He's a second round, right? So he gets. No, he's a two way. Two way. That's right. Two way deal. So they have to. They're going to probably sign him to a full regular NBA contract. But it'll be far less expensive. It's going to be what? Yeah, it's going to be Lou Dort type. So if you get that, honestly, as much as folks love Josh Hart, it makes you make a hard look when you're talking about the value and the holes that you will still have on this roster. But in this particular case, I think there is a, I'd have, if I'm Najee Marshall, I'm, I'd have to feel really good about my standing because there's a financial part to this with Josh Hart. There's an age part with this with Josh Hart because he is going to be reaching 26 mm-hmm. at this point. So you're talking about 26 and moving on and, and him getting to the stage in his career where this could be his one really big deal as far as his career goes, because he's not going to be, get starter money ever. But this could be the one shot in his career to get double digits as far as millions of dollars go. Yeah, Griff's got some leverage now, because not only the play of Najee Marshall, which you just have to 100% expect the Pelicans to sign him before this year's over, but also James Johnson. I, th- I thought what that trade did for the Pelicans, and it's a shame he's been hurt, because I, th- I felt like when, when the key guys were out start of April, James Johnson and Lonzo Ball helped win the uh, game against the Houston Rockets, right, where I think Lonzo's first game back scores 27 points. But it was James Johnson down the stretch, um, and and he had a couple of other good games as well, to where he was really legitimately took over as the uh, de facto playmaker in clutch Mm -hmm. minutes. Because Eric Bledsoe was on the court, but guess what? James Johnson was still bringing up the ball. He was making the plays. I remember he had – you know, either either way, we don't have to rehash every single play, but – those are the type of players that weren't there on, at the beginning of the year on the roster. You only had Josh Hart. So making full circle, I don't think keeping Josh Hart is something that should be out of the realm of thinking. I think this team needs those type of players. So for me, I would personally keep James Johnson, resign him, that is. And you're not going to sign Hart, him for $14 million. And, and Najee Marshall. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, yeah. James Johnson, David, you can't expect he's going to get a contract worth, I think, averaging any more than $6 million a year. I really don't. You know, there's a reason why he's barely played last couple of years. He's what now, 32 years old. And he's taking now. a pounding. I mean, he's a, a. I love James Johnson. He went to my alma mater, so that, you know, full disclosure. But um, I love him. And, and when we when he did get acquired, you and I both said if you're good, that was the part that was really attractive to me is to get him back because of his veteran presence, because he did the little things. And I, that's something we've talked about all years: the lack of professional basketball players on this team, not talent, but professional basketball players and he is that he's you can you know what you can expect from him on a night-to-night basis it may play out statistically as far as he might get double digits but typically he does those things that you that you love about Josh Hart he checks off the boxes but again he does it with more length because you don't have a ton of versatile guys he can play the three and the four and sometimes some small ball five depending on who's on the floor but you know that's that's something you're right that they did not have 
but was also on the market in the bodies of other folks in the offseason. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> winning Gabriel has been a spectacular, you know, failure because he, he, if he hasn't earned the minutes, there's a reason for it because the Falcons sure have need, had a need to fill in somebody that's got the length guarding the bigger forwards, maybe playing a little bit small ball five. And, you know, when I watch him in warmups and after games, he'll do a little bit of shooting. I don't, I don't think I see an NBA player. I know that that's just practice and all that, but you just watch his work habits. You watch his shot. And, you know, for a guy, I think it's his third year. I'm not certain, but he, he hasn't played much. You know, he started off with Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Portland picked him up after the Kings let him go. And he, he's still re- real young, but that's who they kind of pin their hopes on. And, of course, that hasn't worked out. So, you know, either way, they at least filled that hole by making that trade for James Johnson. I mean, props to the front office for nailing Najee Marshall. Two-way contract is very rare, right, David? Two ways come up to be key rotation pieces. And you've got to think that's what he's going to be moving forward for this team. So that's a big, excellent hit. But they're still going to have to fill out the rest of the holes. And, and especially for me, need more shooting, right? This is something that – in today's NBA, and it's really shown up this month, it's just killed the Pelicans. Zion is facing three defenders, Brandon two. And even though Lonzo's come back, he's had a couple of good games, it's still not enough. You still need somebody that's going to be on the wing that can alleviate that pressure. So as you mentioned, veteran presence, you want to see it in the form of a point guard. You need some more length shooting on the perimeter. And they got to figure out the center situation. You know, Jackson's not done growing. I'm not ready to give him 25 minutes a game. No, he, Adams, I, mean, I don't know if he, he's allowed to play 25 minutes a game because he's not tilting it that much more in your favor, right? And, of course, Billy, he's almost a replica of what Adams gives you on the court. So I don't like that trio mix. That's got to be broken up. Yeah, I mean, quite honestly, after that five- or six-game stretch for Jackson Hayes, there's he's gone back to that inconsistency. And you're seeing I, – I, I know I see people who are saying that he's improving defensively, but I'm watching him retreat night after night when he's in the paint, conceding ground, and I'm watching guards t- you know, drop um, floaters right over the top of him because he's going backwards. When was the last time Jackson Hayes blocked the shot? Oh, I know. And we, we must mention he's been struggling with some back spasms. Yes. I, I, but I that's the- also tough uh, for to, – to back issues – Feet, those are things that I always worry about with athletes because backs usually don't get better and bad feet don't usually get better. Yeah, he puts himself in those positions, doesn't he? Boy, making some of those acrobatic, you know, trying catching and dunking all in the same motion or put back offensive rebounds. Yeah, he's, he's going to have to monitor that moving forward. But Jackson, he's is just right now, you hoped a Miles Plumley type, an energy big that can defend the rim, can uh, – basically roll hard, be that kind of good spectacular option and drawing some uh, defenders his way. And of course the offensive rebounding, other than that, you need somebody that's going to be able to defend the rim and spread the floor. And the Pelicans don't have either, right? Steven Adams can take up space, but he does not affect shots right in the paint. That I feel like is one thing that has really hurt this team. There's no last line of defense, nope. right? Jackson's not even a good shot blocker, David. We see him, and he, for all his leaping ability and athleticism, it doesn't translate on the defensive end, no. right? He's averaging less than half a block a game over just these last 15 that, that everybody's been saying, oh, look how great he's been. Less than half a – I mean, that's that's not good enough for a guy you brought in at 7-1. At the very least, you'd expect that to be the first part of his game. To already be there. It was already there when, you know, when Nerlens Noel came in the league, 
you knew that he could do that thing. He could block shots. He's always been a shot blocker. Jackson isn't a great rebounder. He's not a great shot blocker. And that's tough when you're talking about 7-1 with that kind of bounce. Yeah, he doesn't have those basketball instincts. There's a play late, sometime in the second second half, where DeMar DeRozan, I think the Spurs got an offensive rebound or there was a breakdown. But either way, DeMar's got the ball and he shoots from, I want to say, about six feet. Jackson's in front of him. Jackson doesn't jump up to try and block the shot until he knew it was just too late. He wasn't going to get it. He wasn't going to affect the shot. That's what I mean by the lack of instincts, right? He didn't affect DeMar DeRozan's shot, who's, you know, six, seven inches short of him, doesn't get up, right? DeMar's not, not, not a leaper, especially not now on his jump shots. And yet Jackson doesn't even influence the shot. That's a problem to me. Steven Adams, we've mentioned, doesn't affect shots. Same thing with Billy Hernan Gomez. So even though I like all these three players individually and you like Jackson Hayes potential, like I said, that's another hole. So David, yeah, 15, 15 guys end up on a roster. I think you're going to have to change, you know, what? Six, six, seven, at least six, seven. And you're keeping the young core together. You got to think Didi now that he's come over, he's going to be there. Najee Marsh is going to be there. You got, of course, Brandon Zion. Um, Steven Adams likely isn't going to go anywhere. Got that extension. Yeah. I mean, you hope they move off of Eric Bledsoe. He's going to be entering what's going to be kind of technically his last year of the deal. But other than that, I mean, yeah, Nikhil, I'm sorry, I forgot about Nikhil, but then you got to make important decisions. Lonzo, you can't keep everybody. Hard. You just no. can't. And and I, and I think that's something that, that fans, you know, they get lose sight of is like, who has kept the team together where you keep nine guys under the age of 25 together for three years? Maybe Sacramento, but look at what it's gotten them. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the Suns decided really on three guys. It's Aiton, Bridges, Booker. Everybody else was essentially replaceable. And they went out and did that this offseason. They replaced the rest of that roster pretty much. They kept a couple guys. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you get a Frank Kaminsky and stuff, you get Chris Paul because you said, what am I missing? I'm missing leadership, toughness, consistency in my backcourt, a guy who's going to pressure the ball defensively, and he can run my offense offensively. Pelicans are missing those things. You said, what am I getting out of Devin Booker? He's he's a scorer. I'm going to ask Devin Booker to score. They don't ask Devin Booker to do a ton of things now. So his freedom is there to do what he does best. When you talk about DeAndre Ayton, he gets to, to do the things that he does well in a pick and roll with, with Chris Paul. So, I mean, it's like to me, when I look at these things and I watch how other teams have figured out how Luka, yeah, the, the, the Mavs are not what – as good as maybe you hoped that they would have been with Luca and Porzingis, but they didn't build a tremendously young roster around Luca. They put a bunch of veteran guys who were competent at their jobs around him, who know their roles around him. They didn't put a ton of young guys. There aren't a bunch of 22 year olds around Luca Doncic, but he's 20, 21. And we're saying with Zion, we have to continue to be patient. Well, part of that patience should come from what you're putting around him. They're not putting the pieces around Zion to make Zion successful. Part of that is on Zion. He has to make some leaps. But when you talk about the roster construction, you go back to that. You cannot keep nine guys 24 and under and think you're ever going to really be a contending team as long as you're holding on to all of them. You have to have some vets on this roster. Yeah, youth doesn't win ball games. It doesn't know what to do in certain moments. Um, and, and it shows. Just the, the way you cover or help a teammate defensively and the positioning you take. And then, of course, giving second effort. You know, I was watching Drew Holiday, <laughs> Milwaukee Bucks playing yesterday, <clears throat> and just watching all the little things that he does on the court. 
There's nobody on the Pelicans currently that's that's playing that does that they they can't do that right now. You know, Stephen Adams' mobility limits him to what he can offer you, um, but none of the guards really do that. You know, even with Lonzo Ball, I'm noticing more and more that you would hope he could follow maybe in the Lonzo or excuse me Drew Holiday's footsteps, become a really good defender because I think the tools are there, but I'm not seeing it. He does a little bit more head shaking, head down, um, and. You know, he doesn't have the quick feet. He's too much on his instincts. Eric Bledsoe, he's just been a disaster. He needs to be replaced without a doubt. But then beyond him, Nikhil, he's got good hands, but he doesn't have size. He doesn't. He can't use his body to body up defenders. You know, there's holes with every single player. And yet you're playing in a league full of grown men who, like you said, know how to play basketball. So if you suddenly do make the right play and you cut them off, you take away their position, don't make a pass, find somebody else. Pelicans don't even do those type of simple uh, things, I feel like, oftentimes. So, yeah, I mean, I'm going to write a big piece. I'm still thinking about how how I want to approach this subject because it's a big one. But either way, they're going to have to approach roster construction much, much differently, right? You don't need to, I feel like, shoot now, keep shooting for fish in a barrel by having a bunch of young guys on a roster and hoping to score another good, great, I should say, great player. You already got Zion B.I. and whether you keep Lonzo or not, is up to you, but then you've got beyond them a couple of good key guys. They're going to be part of this roster. Najee, probably Nikhil, maybe Jackson. You don't need to keep going down in that barrel. So, yeah, it's got to be now pro basketball players. We've seen the difference what they make. Josh Hart in his little times when, when, when the game requires it, how important his rebounding is to push the pace. James Johnson, I think defensively, his ability to get steals and blocks with his hands and making the right plays, huge. But we haven't seen enough of that. So that's that's how they, I want them to approach this offseason, without a doubt. No more, let's look at the draft, bring in another couple of young guys. Let's keep all the same young guys we have. And I think you got to move off on them and start following the route, as you just mentioned, Phoenix. I like they're doing, uh, even in Charlotte, um, almost pick any young team that's, you know, kind of exceeded expectation. You'll see a common trend. Look at the best two teams in the West besides the Suns, Utah, right? They, they, they don't have holes on their roster. And that's something the Pelicans have too many of, right? They're, they're like they, we talk about this just too much all season. And, you know. Let's talk I, about I, the, the main three guys then. Because there's something that we need to talk about with, with, both, with Zion, with Brandon, and I think also um, dealing with Lonzo. For me, with Zion, the point Zion thing, yes, it's worked in some regards. But I think we saw last night um, with the Spurs game. When you get to that point when teams, okay, say, okay, you want to let Zion have the ball? Fine. We're just going to defend everybody else. It starts to get a little predictable when you have him bring the ball up every time. We saw early in the game you have that effectiveness, moving him off of curls, getting the ball in motion. When It seems like the Pelicans go to this when it's, the game gets tight. Either it's, I'm just going to let Brandon bring it up and try to initiate, or I'm just going to let Zion bring it up and I'm going to init- let him initiate I don't think that's what Stan Van Gundy is intending. I think that's what's happening on the court because you've made yourself easier to defend. And I think the Pelicans stopped their movement. And that's another thing is spacing is a function of two different things. You get bad shots. I think part of the reason the Pelicans shoot such a poor percentage in three is because they don't move. You're not getting, and why other teams come in and shoot so well is because they get the clean looks off of player movement. They shoot better than their season average because guys are getting better looks because they continue to move against that Pelicans defense, which isn't paying attention to off-ball movement. So when they don't do it on the offensive end, 
especially in the fourth quarter, those stretches become more pronounced because to me, my problem with Zion is he will get into turnover clusters as anybody would who handles the ball that much, particularly a forward in his second year. And then you talk about Ingram, he goes into turnover funks or he doesn't have that thing that we talk about, that explosive ability to finish at the rim, which allows you to get that one dribble and go and attack. He doesn't always get that. He doesn't have that advantage every night. And when he doesn't, you can keep them out beyond the three-point line and the Pelicans start settling. Yeah, and when it comes time to win, you don't want the ball in your best player's hands. But when you're facing a wall, I think Point Zion's become so predictable that the Spurs kind of figured it out right away yeah. last year in his debut on how to guard Zion, right? Especially throw a bunch of bodies at him, have the rest of the team try and beat you. And now that every team is doing that, suddenly I think Zion's lost all his effectiveness in being able to even have the ball in his hands down the stretch. Because now, especially when you're bringing, you know, calling for a screen, you're bringing an extra defender already and there's going to be a third one lurking. So suddenly you're going to be faced with dishing it out to the wing. And for most of this year, it's been Eric Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball sitting out there and they just have not made their shots. So that's, that's yeah, that's got to change moving forward. You've got to bring in some reliable shooters. You know, boy, I, I keep thinking about what if instead of Eric Bledsoe, they had kept George Hill, right? Or somebody yeah. – just somebody that, that's a more reliable floor space or how much of a difference that would have made. Because let's face it, a lot of these games come down to just a possession or two. And all of a sudden you win some of those possessions. Boy, we would be looking a lot differently at the rest of the season right now. And it's, but it's one thing every night. And we've done this before. And I think that's something that people forget is we could go back to last season and we'll talk about, you know, we could talk about games last season. We're like, they were right in that game. That was a team they could have beaten. And they, you know, that's, you know, that one great quarter, they were just a couple plays away. Well, we did that the year before. And we did that the year before, that there were these games where you'd say they show these great signs of progress, but it's within that one game. You are what you consistently do, right? Mm -hmm. And they consistently underperform in important areas, the areas that, and, and Jamel McMillan told me this a long time ago, and I know he's told you the same thing. The things that are most important to winning are not there. You can't, there's no numbers for those. You never see them. And when we're watching the game, you're right. You can, you can come back and look at the box score. You can look at the advanced stats and there'll be some great things in there, but that's doesn't change the individual moments when a decision had to be made and the wrong decision was made. Even if it balances out at the end. Yeah. The Spurs won this series by a grand total of five points this season, five points. And the difference between those two teams was up at the top. It's the stuff between the ears that had nothing to do with everything else. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think this is a great time to then ask the question, right? Zion's going to be likely the number one playmaker for a long time here in New Orleans. Brandon Ingram can do some playmaking, but where does that leave Lonzo? And the fact that even though he's got less responsibility because of that, he hasn't really ran with it, right, this season. I know his opportunities haven't been there like say in the past, especially on some bad Laker teams. But the thing is, do you want him to have those opportunities? Because has what does he do with those opportunities? So for me, I don't know what the right roster construction really is, right? I think that's what we need to discuss. Where do you want to see this team move forward? For most of the year, I've been pro Lonzo. I've seen the improvement on with his three ball. I like what he does defensively. I like how he fits with his team. I think he brings another gear to this offense when – uh, they're able to get out on the open floor. Um, 
when, when Lonzo's really engaged, can rebound his own shot and push the ball because I think that's when they're at their best, right? Finding that quick open shot because they, they're slew of athletes. But if he's not giving you that and suddenly it's more important to win games down the stretch, who do you want to be the point guard? Is he on this roster? Uh, a lot of people think Kyra Lewis can be that guy. I think it's way too early to say one way or the other. Um, Nikhil, you've already touched on, certainly isn't that guy. He could be, you know, finishing as a combo guard, number two out there. But he's going to score. His mindset is to shoot, not to I don't feel like we need an organizer at that point guard position. So I don't think this guy's on the roster. But I think if they, they should pursue somebody in the offseason. I know it won't be Kyle Lowry, but somebody like him, like a Chris Paul. Somebody that's been around the block. Um, TJ McConnell, I feel like, would help this team a lot. Somebody that just knows what to do, get the team organized when you need to, understand the point of attack, especially defensively, um, you, you name it. But I think it has to start there with this team, right? Because you're going to keep Zion. You're going to keep B.I. So where's it going to go? So I don't know. I suddenly, I, I'm, I'm very undecided on Lonzo's future, David. I'm curious to see how you feel about Have you changed? Because I have. I think now there is a number you put at out there and if Lonzo wants more or he thinks he can get more I think otherwise then you got to let him go or just trade him in a sign and trade my thing is what are you going to do you know my I think I understand your point and I can agree with it you know I think it all matches it all depends on what are you going to do with the rest of this roster what is David Griffin's decision with the rest of this roster because if you go into this next year with Lonzo and Bledsoe again it's not going to work it's not going to work. That that's a failure. So I don't even want to contemplate that, right? So if that's what you if you do that, if that's what he comes back with, or if you say Lonzo Nikhil, I'm not sold on that as my starting group. No way. So if that's what you're trying to do, then yeah, I think you're better off moving Lonzo for a point, a, a more traditional type point guard who can knock down their shots, but can run your offense in the half court at times. That's what you have to have because. Again, even if Zion is your, your your primary playmaker, the same with B.I., they are much better as making those plays while attacking than making those plays by reading and setting people up. If it comes off the point of, of I'm trying to score and then I see the availability because the defense has reacted to me, they're both much better in those situations than they are in, I have the ball, let me survey the floor, read who's going to do what, make that first pass that is going to lead to the second pass if someone else can score. They don't do that. Theirs just come on direct passes off of their movement from attacking the rim or drawing a double team. They don't have somebody who can just, like we talked about, they don't have anyone who can create the offense to can say with 10 seconds on the clock, I need you to do this, somebody else do this, and we'll give BI the best shot we can get. Yeah, not only do you need to be able to direct your teammates um, as a point guard, you need to be able to become an offensive threat. I think that's why you don't see Lonzo running pick and rolls with Ingram or Zion down stretch because guess what? They're going to be sitting there camping anyways. So everything's on Lonzo to make that play. And I don't know how many times this year, but I've seen him have so many you know, open attempts had he looked for his shot in the fourth quarter when he's on the move with the ball. But he doesn't do it, David. It seems like he, he explores that option in the first half, especially first quarters. But lately, we haven't seen it. And the mid-range game has vanished again. Yeah, you know, he, he had it in the first half quarter of the season. I don't understand it. So either way, what I'm saying is he's still stuck in this. I'm trying to develop as a player, as who I am in this league. And the, the Pelicans can't have that, right? They, they, they just can't. So they need just more experienced, more established guys of their ilk of whatever they do well, 
but they need those types that you can rely on for whatever they do bring to the table. And right now the Pelicans don't, you don't know what you're getting from game to game on almost anybody on this roster. That's the biggest problem that needs to be, you know, changed. Honestly. We talked about that with the bench at the beginning of the season when the bench was just God awful. And there were nights when the Pelicans were getting single digit performances out of the bench. You see that again. Now they were the Spurs. What did the bench do? Mm-hmm. There was nothing there. And, and oftentimes it's not just because of the matchups. It's what are they willing to do? What are these guys going to do when they're out there on the floor? They, they're not good decision makers. They just, as a, as a group, this team is as a low basketball IQ. When it comes to Ingram, the thing I worry about the most is his defensive development. Mm-hmm. He still has not taken on the challenge. He doesn't step up and say, I'm going to shut down the guy across from me in the fourth quarter. DeMar DeRozan should have been his on another team, on another, uh, another player, whether it's whomever the best wing defender is and the best player. Sometimes you have to say, that's my guy. They criticized Giannis for that in the postseason last year. They said he didn't take on the toughest matchup at times. That's why AD should have been defense player of the year. We heard that. Somebody on the Pelicans has to be that guy. Drew was gone. And it means as either Zion or Ingram, one of them has to be that guy. One of your top guys has to be committed to the defense. No matter what we think of Paul George, he's committed to his defense. Kawhi Leonard is committed to his defense. The best teams in this league, Ben Simmons is committed to his defense. Joel Embiid is committed to his defense. These are guys who want to be defensive player of the year. Who on the Pelicans wants to be defensive player of the year? Who wakes up and says, I want to challenge my opponent? Who on this roster? Not one. You have guys who compete, but there's no one on this team who's going to be considered first or second team all defense anytime soon. Yeah, and David, how disappointing is that? Because we heard early in the year the meetings with Stan Van Gundy. And you, you know damn well he points out, obviously, some of the positives, but also the negatives defensively with what Zion and B.I. did in a particular game. Why hasn't that translated is what I keep wondering. If, if Brandon Ingram says to you after leaving the bubble saying, I'm never, I never want to experience this feeling again. You know, I'm not going to miss a playoffs again. How come then it's not translating this year defensively when he goes for weeks without making, you know, plays defensively. I like what he did against the magic. I even called it out, but yes, I know it's the magic. I understand, but I still saw effort. I saw his arms. I, I saw his feet moving. And then yesterday, I didn't see any of that again, David. And I don't know, understand for the life of me why. Is he nicked up a little bit? Is he injured? I, I don't know. I, I'm, but I'm not going to sit here and make excuses. Either way, I think you say one or the other. I think both, Brandon and Zion, have to commit themselves defensively. And I think the best comparison right now is a young group uh, up in Boston, Tatum and Brown. I look at what they can do on both ends of the court. And they're you know, not that much older than Zion and B.I., they should be getting close to what those guys are doing in Boston. Yeah, I'm not seeing that, right? There, there was a uh, game last particularly week. Particularly Ingram, because Ingram is – Yeah, particularly Ingram. He's been egregious. He, he flat out has been egregious, right, with the effort, with, with the recognition. I see his men, his man, he lose sight of his man, and then he's always late to help. There was a play yesterday where Ingram just had to grab Pirtle, right, because he was late in the rotation, fouled him right at the rim. At least he fouled him. He, he, hadn't, he wasn't even doing that earlier this year, but – yeah, David. So how do you get through to these guys? If you're Stan, who's regarded as a teacher, and I have to trust Stan's doing everything he can, what, what do you do? I mean, what should the Pelicans do? that's something in, inside. That's yeah, how do you not something. Fire? 
Because I don't, I don't think there's a coach you can get who's going to just turn you into a defender. You have to want it from day one, and it's obvious. It's I think we've seen some improvement from Zion. We've seen that he gives multiple got, efforts. Yes, and on ball he continues to improve. He's not a great on ball defender yet, but we see improvement. He still gets lost in some things, um, and you know doesn't always have greatest recognition of space and things like that. But with Ingram. Oftentimes you're facing off against another person who's trying to score the same ways that you are face up, tack the, off the dribble, um, off ball movement. He gets lost in screens. He doesn't fight through them. He, he doesn't use his link to his advantage very well. Like he doesn't stop people from driving. And that's the big thing for the Pelicans in general. Anybody can drive on this team. Anybody can get into the paint on this team from every position on the floor. And that is, has to Ingram at six, seven with all this length, the seven foot span that we keep talking about. It doesn't deter. It doesn't get blocks. It doesn't get rebounds. And that has to improve. If you want to be considered a max player, a franchise changing player, you have to do it on both ends of the floor. Yeah. I don't think there's anybody that's worse on this team with giving up their space defensively than BI. He doesn't fight for it. I, there's been so many games where I, I see either his man or somebody else just walk, literally walk in front of him for an offensive rebound, right? Get him better positioning. B.I. does nothing to dissuade them. It's driven me absolutely crazy because it's something we've lamented in the past with certain other players. And to see that, like I said, if you, you can't say you're all about winning. You want to make the playoffs, and then you just allow for things like that to happen. Now, I've seen other Pelicans, right, do the same, so I'm not just calling out B.I. here. Zion's had his moments. I saw Blake Griffin do it numerous times to him in that game against the Brooklyn Nets. Um, and, of course, you know, Bledsoe, Lonzo, they have their moments. I feel like they go for a steal or a block, and they don't get back into play. They don't do anything else on that play, that possession. As to where, you know, if you just watch Kyrie Irving, I, I was particularly watching Kyrie because I was curious. Let me watch him up close. I never seen him play live before. Guess what? He gives a shit defensively. This guy's moving his feet, and guess what? Because of his play, Pelicans did get a last-second shot because he knocked the ball or at least made Zion lose it out of bounds after that spectacular throw by Adams and catch by Zion. It's because of Kyrie. And I saw him continually being focused, aggressive defensively. It's not something you see out of the R team where they get in that position stance and you can just feel, I'm going to stop you or I'm going to do my best to stop you and then have teammates behind him saying, I'm here. And while they talk, you just don't see that commitment out of their bodies, out of their, their, their movements, everything. And to say that this deep in the season, oh, it just breaks my heart. You know, I, I don't see a path with this roster to major improvement because of that factor alone. Maybe it flips like a switch. Maybe, maybe you think the young guys, maybe Brandon will start carrying Zion. Great. They need to. But until they do, you need to at least bring in guys that will. Right. That's why we've loved on James Johnson all, all year, but especially once he became a Pelican. Um, shout out to Charlie. I know he's always mentioned James Johnson in our DM chats. That's why we are loving what Najee Marshall's doing right now. That's why mm -hmm. Josh Hart's been such a favorite for a long time. And Nikhil, he gives a little bit of effort too. So that has to become the new status quo. Because when you're talking about culture changing, bringing and establishing a culture, first day of training camp, and then to witness what we've witnessed this year, that's inexcusable, David. Absolutely. And for this team, just look at the down the stretch. There were reasonable goals, I think. And I wrote about it. I said, you know, you could try to have a winning record at home. I think that's gone now. I think that's gone now. Yeah. Because your last home games, Clippers tomorrow. They're two not against the Warriors and then Lakers. Two against the Warriors and then Lakers. 
you, the Clippers need that game. The Warriors are going to need those games. They're playing well, too, right now, whether yeah. they're missing guys or not. So The Warriors need those games. And the Lakers may need that last game of the season to change their playoff positioning. They may need it. So if well, they come in, up, right, to get LeBron, AD yeah, for the they can, that could be one of the first times that you're seeing AD, LeBron, and Andre Drummond. So that game is going to mean something to LA. They don't want to go into the postseason losing anyway. It's just like you said, that mindset of are we ready to play? Are are they're going to be testing that? So you have to go three and one over these last four to get a winning record at home. It's probably not going to happen. You got to go ten and two to get to five hundred, which I think is the floor now for that 10th spot, because you look at the rest of these teams, they're at their 30th win just about. Mm-hmm. So, you're Pelicans, yeah. so you're talking about, as you said, only two losing teams on these last 12 and you've lost to them. You're one in three against those two teams. And the other teams that you're playing winning with win against at Dallas is a place you don't play well, <laughs> you know, and Memphis is going to be chomping at the bits, right. To make up for all the losses. Charlotte is on Memphis. fire. And playing incredibly intense basketball without Lamelo. This is a, the Charlotte without Lamelo doing all this. At Philly, that game's going to mean something to them. At the very least, Philly again. Those are those are MVP nights for Embiid. Those are nights for him to put up some numbers, especially considering the way he played against Pelicans last time. You're going to go to Philadelphia. Embiid's not going to try to put up another stinker on them. He's going to try to destroy them. So where at Denver, you know, <laughs> there's there's nothing. There's no breaks on this schedule. For the New Orleans Pelicans. So to me, if they get to 30, and before the season, I said 30 to 33 max, getting to 30 now may not be a guarantee. Not at all. Come on, they're on 26. That means they got to win seven of their last 12. And no, David, I don't honestly don't see it. I think they're probably going to end up at 29 wins with the rate they're going. I'm now seeing shoulder slumping. I was mentioning the guys on Media Row yesterday. I haven't seen Zion Williamson as dejected, right? Just, just, not, oh, my God, this loss crushed me, but it's just like, oh, this season has been such a disappointment. I feel like I saw the weight of what's transpired this year in that uh, post-game interview with him yesterday. And usually he's the most upbeat guy in the world, even if, if, if the Pelicans lose a tough, you know, clutch time in a game. So, no, I feel like the effects we're seeing it now, I think this last week or so has really taken the last remaining wins out of the sails of this team. So I have no um, illusions that they're going to make a run at the class. I'm not even going to talk about the playing term anymore when I'm writing anything. Now, everything's going to be about just, just improvement that you see from the core that you know is going to be the core together, or most of them anyways, next year, and individual improvements, right? Other than that, there's not much else to play for. I mean, let's face it, right? These games aren't going to be that meaningful, I think, unfortunately. Two years in a row. I don't know, David. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the stuff. I mean, the, again, when they went to the, to the bubble last season, we weren't complaining about their ability. And it's never been about the talent. Not even in the years before that, when, we, when we've looked at this team, this is something that David Griffith said the culture was supposed to change. You're going to kick people's ass. Nobody's going to punk the New Orleans Pelicans. But how can you do that? And then Drew Holiday asked for a trade, right? And then J.J. Redick right on the heels. And suddenly you're losing two, you know, important bets, and then you don't replace them with anybody. So that, and you don't anticipate replacing them with people, because that that thing about that's the part about JJ that bothers me is when he asked for a trade, and his value was at his highest then, and Griffin basically says, "Give me a month 
and see if it works out. Well, but even if he stayed, the best case scenario, you weren't competing for a championship. So what value does J.J. Redick have for you in the last year of his deal if you're not competing for something? And that was J.J.'s point. And it, it's exactly right. If you're not competing with a championship, what value did he have? And you missed it with Etwan last year and getting rid of him when he had value and you're just leaving him to rot on the bench. They've missed those opportunities. And it just feels like I, I don't know how much faith you can have going into next season because it has to be the referendum on next season has to be the referendum on Griff. You can't go through the third year and say, well, he gets the fourth year. The third year has to be, there has to be a tremendous amount of pressure because the floor cannot be the 10 spot in year three. The floor has to be, I am a legitimate playoff team. I know for a fact we're going to have an above 500 record. Anything where you're competing for the 10th spot next season? No, people have to, then, then you're talking about major changes. Yeah, I mean, I think the writing was on the wall when Drew knew that. That's why he basically said, no, I don't want to resign a contract in New Orleans. I kind of gave you guys one year to see where we were at. And he saw, obviously, this is going to take multiple years. Um, JJ, same thing. And suddenly, when we're talking about this season and not seeing improvements we wanted, I don't have hope for a major quick turnaround by this young group to suddenly becoming you know, defensive stalwarts or even becoming 15th. And then, or, you know, improving really upon any weaknesses that they've shown to be a consistent, you know, issue this year, you know, whether it's the turnovers, the missed free throws, the, the mental makeup. Um, so, you know, where that starts, it starts with the front office. You've got to bring in guys that will fill in those holes. So, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to be eyeballing and holding David Griffin fully accountable because we know what is necessary to make this team a winner, right? To make winning plays and they don't have those guys that you can entrust right now. That may change because, like you've mentioned, I keep saying we can't overlook the fact that this talent really looks like it's headed somewhere. We've seen so many positive things that we weren't even sure at the start of this year, first six weeks into this year, was Nikhil even a rotation player? Can Jackson do anything positive? Uh, what's Didi? Um, we still don't know, but the fact that he's coming over and we've seen you know, some good defensive highlights, but Najee Marshall coming out of somewhere, you suddenly have a base. But, boy, you have got to surround them with people. None of these – we're going to throw a dart at the dartboard, and there's Nicola Melli. Boy, was, did he flame out. He did not work out at all. For a guy that was supposed to spread the floor, he shot 19% this year from three-point range, I think, right? 18.9, something like that. You can't make those mistakes again, David. You absolutely cannot. No. There, you have to have some home runs now. You absolutely have to have some home runs. Give me singles. No, no, give me singles. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm, I mean, yeah. home runs in the sense of yeah. you can't, you don't have to have a grand slam, but I'm saying, yeah, you need people. You, the players you need are the guys who move the runner along. You know what I mean? Like the best baseball teams, you sit there and you look at the, the teams that win consistently or the football teams that win. It's people who have, a, it's not the team that's the most overloaded with stars. You have stars, you have to have talent. But it's the majority of those guys are, are players who do their jobs. When you just do their jobs, that Lakers team that won the championship last year was not the most talented Lakers team we've ever yeah, seen. No. The, the team that they play in the finals, the Heat, were not the most talented team we've ever seen. Didn't have a single all-star except for Bam. Yeah, Bam. And that's a, as a position of thinness in the East. So 
you sit there and you say, you look at those teams and you're not looking at, at, at the, the, the exceptionally talented. What you're looking at is exceptional competition. People who want to fight every night for whatever it is that they're playing for. And even with the Steph Curry, who you people think is, is this affable little cherub of a guy just running around and smiling, that dude wants to rip your heart out. He hates to lose. And that, I think, is something that's apparent with the Pelicans is that on a night-to-night basis, losing doesn't hurt more than winning feels good. Losing has to hurt to be a champion. A lot of people can be great basketball players. Very few get to be champions. Some of it is circumstance. And I think champion is not necessarily defined by winning a title. Mm -hmm. But are you playing at a championship level as a competitor? Do I look at you and feel the intensity of wanting to get to that place? Because, yeah, Charles Barkley played in one finals. But I would say that you knew he was competing for a championship. David Robinson, you know, didn't get to the finals at the end of his career, but he was competing for championships. That's what the Pelicans have to get mindset-wise, and I don't know who on the roster has that or can develop it. Somebody had better. And that's the biggest problem with peeping possibly Lonzo with B.I. and Zion. I love the flashes. I love the potential of what they could become. But, David, if none of those three guys are leading your huddle at some point in the last five minutes or some kind of you know big moment in the game – then what are we doing here? What, it has to be one of those guys. So if you're committed, and, and they should be, they're committed to design, without a doubt. Brandon Ingram, you feel pretty fairly confident that they're going to at least go ahead and continue to give him a couple more seasons, right? Sign him a big contract. He is an outstanding talent. He's a great person. He um, shows certain things on the court at times that makes you think he's going to blossom into one of the top 20 players in the league, but he hasn't yet. But it's that metal you're talking about, right? You need it. Boy, you need it. And I was really hoping Lonzo would have stepped forward in this year. And I think that's been the biggest reason why I've soured. Stan always said, I want my point guard to control the team, control the games when the situation calls for it, especially. And he talked about the start of the year, how he saw a lot of that in uh, Lonzo last year. Well, this year he's had more of the ball taken out of his hands, but that's not the point. The point is when there needs to be a play made. How many times Lonzo ended up with the ball within the last two, three minutes, and we haven't seen the right decision made, David? Or he moves off of it. He gives the ball up. Defensively, he'll still give you that effort. I won't forget that amazing, uh, uh, what was it, against the Pacers, where he contested the shot by Miles Turner. Right. So he has the IQ, but you need somebody, like you said, with the insides, the guts, of just wanting to fight through anything and bringing your teammates along. That's who New Orleans needs. They don't, they, don't, they don't react well when things don't go their way. And that's, that's another sign of that, that lack of leadership is somebody who can respond when things are broken. They don't do well when things break. They don't, they don't adjust quickly. And, yeah, and that's a part, part of the problem, right, with the young team. We understand that. But, but somebody has to say, yeah, that's, that's what we're saying, is the roster's got to be – you have to have someone who can do that on the floor at all times. Someone has to be able to pull it together. And we see far too often with this group that nobody's willing to. And I think Zion tried Saturday for a good stretch when he took over and was really attacking and bringing the Pelicans back in the game late. But when he's missing his free throws, you know, that doesn't help. And when he's turning it over, that doesn't help. And when he's not engaged defensively and allowing second chance buckets on that end, that doesn't help. 
And we, we tend to focus on his offensive output and it's the complete total of his game because we should hold him to that high standard. That's what he asked for. Mm-hmm. And that's the demand of greatness. That's the same thing with Brandon Ingram. He has to be held at a different standard of greatness than what we would say for Alonzo Ball, for what we would say with any other person on the roster. When you ask for the responsibility of being the franchise player, when you ask for the responsibility of saying, I'm not going, I'm going to dominate the person in front of me every night. When you ask for that kind of responsibility as a superstar performer, you're not going to get into MVP conversations unless you start winning when things are hard, when you pull out games that you're not supposed to win. And that's why people are talking about Julius Randle now as an MVP candidate, because they've won games they weren't supposed to win. And you saw him close like he did against the Pelicans getting some baseline jumpers, some turnarounds in traffic, getting fouled and making three-point plays. Julius Randle is showing something that maybe we didn't know he had, but he wants it at the very least, and that's the same thing the Knicks up and down that roster. The reason they beat the Pelicans is not because they're more talented. It's because they wanted it more. They just do. Possession of possession. And like you said, it's a rudderless ship. It's a rudderless ship. And I said last night, this it, team is a walking participant. You need to have somebody out there that's, go, that's going to help you win the ball game. That's the bottom line. And they, they have nobody. When you look at the closing lineups, especially the starting lineup, no, that, 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 that's just not going to – that's not going to cut it anymore, Davis. So I feel like they've got to add some of that veteran leadership, but isn't just, you know, there for decoration. Um, James Johnson, while I love him, you can't count on him as being one of your major contributors – uh, next season so his veteran presence his veteran influence isn't going to be as great you need somebody like i said it's going to be in closing groups i don't know who that is but they're going to have to identify and all your vets can't bring them in. Be, they all can't be the quiet you know lead by example type either yeah the good teammates yeah you yeah. can you That's have it. to have the good to make teammates but who's the accountability guy who's the guy who's holding people accountable on the court because the coach can't do that I can't do it for the five. I can't call a timeout every time you guys screw up. So somebody on the floor has to be the accountability person. Who That's is why that? we thought AD and Drew, the, the best they ever played by far was when Rondo was on this team. Because he was the accountability guy. He was the accountable one. He held everybody accountable. Nobody is doing that for this team right now. Not on the floor. Not on the floor. And you can see, I think, that we'll wrap on this, is for Stan, Stan seems to have reached a point with some of these guys and like there's clearly a frustration, but when you start using words like high school players should have done this, or we don't do this night after night, we show we're not engaged here. He's gotten to the point where I think he's made some decisions about some of these guys. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out that dynamic between he and David Griffin. Yeah. And it goes back to the point we're making significant changes are going to be need to be made on this roster. You can't continue to wait on this young group, all of them, bring them back, expect them to grow into something that they're not trending towards, let's face it. It's plateaued. It's plateaued. And we'll see what happens next. Um, Like I said, 12 games to go. We'll see what happens. Ali, um, they know how to find you. The bird writes, the bird calls, radio stations all over the city, at Ali Cosell on Twitter. Um, Anything else you got to plug real quick? 
Yeah, not at all. Thanks, David. <laughs> y'all know how to get at me. I got my D dog all over me yes. right now these last five minutes. <laughs> yeah, so uh, y'all know how to get at me at DM Grove, Instagram, Twitter, and the website HITP with DG. And we will be back with another one very soon. So thank you for joining me on another edition of Art and